Welcome everyone, as always, to the Sport of Harvard podcast. I'm your host, Carlos Page, and I want to welcome on a guy that I've been checking out and following here in the Nashville area. I think he's doing a great job covering the Titans, and uh, we're going to get to a few other things today. Let's welcome on Teron Davenport. Teron, how are you today, man? Hey, man, every day is a good one, man. How's it for you? Hey, man, just trying to keep up with everything. You know, the sports world with where everything is coming at you at one time. I'm trying to watch the NBA, then I switch over to the NFL. I think we all kind of in that boat right now. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot going on. Even you got baseball playoffs here already start too. So yeah, it's a lot, man. Yeah, man, no doubt. So I, I always wanted to speak to you, man, because I'm here in this Nashville market and I've been trying to do some things on my side, you know, and I, I've seen a lot of growth in our market. I've been here for about uh, just about all my life, you know, um, started off in Memphis. Now I'm here in Nashville. And to see the growth in um, the market for sports, every day I'm seeing a new podcast, a new medium or anything that's popping up here. So I know you from uh, where well, you started off in Philadelphia, but how do you compare like the Nashville market and this growth right now? Yeah, I, I think it, it is just that it's growing. I'm really hoping a baseball team gets here. I, I love baseball. That's actually my second favorite sport. So I'm hoping they do get the sounds up and running. It's a bit different from Philly, however, because you had all four in Philly, right? You got the Flyers in hockey. You got the Phillies in baseball, the Eagles, which they, they count as two in Philly. And then you got yeah. the 76ers, you know, trust in the process. So you're four for four there. And they even have soccer, just like the Nashville uh, SC, they have have that here. It's the Philadelphia Union. So all of the sports wow. are there. And if you want minor league baseball, you could drive 30 minutes west to Reading and see the Reading Phillies. I saw guys like Jimmy Rollins, Ryan Howard flow through there. So it, it, it's different in that manner. But one thing I will say is this city is growing. And the fans, I mean, I interact with Titans fans. I, I From seeing how people are with the Predators, it seem like they're pretty on that too. But I really like the Titans fans. They're passionate about their team. They kind of embrace that that mindset of, you know, we haven't won it all, but we're striving to do it. So I, I think it's pretty cool that being a small market team, they still love that team. And being as though it's a team that is relatively new, right? It's not a 50-year history like how the Eagles have with, with Philadelphia. Yeah, man. I mean, I think you hit it right on the head. And Philly is, is touch, uh, such a tough market, you know. <laughs> I start thinking about Michael Irvin on the ground and, and, and the crowd. I start thinking about, yeah, man, Santa Claus getting, you know, chunk uh, batteries at him and things like that. And to come to Nashville, man, you know, we're, we're a city that had Jeff Fisher for so many years, and, and, and half of the city didn't want to fire him, you know, after a while. So it's just I know the difference in, in Philly and Nashville from that standpoint has to be yeah. – 180 degrees. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Jeff Fisher wouldn't have lasted in Philly, for heaven's sakes. <laughs> no, Del Peterson guided that team to their first and only Super Bowl trophy. And there are yeah. articles coming out and fans supporting those articles about getting rid of Doug Peterson. <laughs> guided them to it. So, I, I, for sure, Jeff Fisher, he wouldn't have lasted. And no disrespect yeah. to Coach Fisher because – you know, he, he was a solid coach. He's a great dude. I've talked to him a few times as well. Yeah, for sure. Jeff is definitely cool. I talked to him a few times, too. And, um, 
you know, I even joke with him, you know, in this market, man, you get a sense of people that Southern hospitality, people play nice and things like that. But um, speaking of Philly, one more question on that. How was it covering uh, the Eagles on that Super Bowl run? We, we know Philly was thirsting for a Super Bowl. And after so many years, how, how crazy that moment was when you covered them. Yeah, it, it was really crazy. I'm thankful for it, though, because that's why I'm here. You know what I mean? <laughs> Through that, that success of that year, ESPN reached out to me. And, and that offseason, you know, we got the ball rolling. And, and I was here in 2018 in July. So, but just to touch on how crazy it was, I mean, we have grown men coming up to you crying, you know, because they're so yeah. happy to you on. When you have, you know, people within the organization so happy about it, coming up to you saying, hey, man, we did it. I'm like, I didn't do a thing, man. <laughs> I just wrote about you guys and, and, and talked about you on TV. But, hey, man, I appreciate it. You know, but then at the parade, the parade was the biggest thing where just in, in watching the guys go through that. I waited at the art museum. Like they had a separate uh, bus for us to ride through. But yeah. when I got to the art museum, you know, I was standing there. And then when the players got there talking to them, Lane Johnson told me that this this dude had an urn with his dad's ashes in it and handed it to him. Like, that's deep, man. It, you know, wow. so it yeah. just runs really, really deep as far as the support of the birds, as they call them. And uh, that was unique, just getting to see just that city go on fire, man. Like, not literally, but go on fire, you know, from a point of just everything, just winning, finally, that relief of being a champion. It, it was it was really cool. Well, I'm with Teron Davenport of ESPN, covers the Titans locally here in Nashville. You can check him out on 102.5 The Game, the Nate and TD show. Talk to me about how they came together, man, with uh, Nate and you and teaming up and, and doing a, a pretty good job, man. I, I caught it a couple of times. How, how did that come about? Yeah, Nate's my guy, man. We have been in communication on Twitter, social media, et cetera. And it was uh, – I was in Baltimore. I remember in Baltimore for the divisional game, I'm walking across the, the pier, and I started getting notifications. So I looked at my phone. I'm like, yo, what's going on? And here <laughs> Nate had said he wanted to – joined in Nashville media, and then everybody kept saying, hey, you need to do a show with TD. And he replied, yeah. and it just kind of popped. So I, I sent the program director a text message, like, hey, listen, man, I could do another show if you want. I, I would love to do that. And it just kind of festered. And then, what, two weeks before the season, he came to me and was like, hey, Nate wants to do a show with you. We're going to get it done. Um, it's going to be the Friday show, and, and, and here we are. What's up, man? Shout yeah. out to 102.5 The Game. I was a former intern myself up there. Okay. Learned a, learned a few things. This got me on my way, so shout out to the guys up there, man. Um, so let's kind of change service, man. Let's talk about today, you know, the world that we live in with equality. You, you see all the marches and the different things that's going on. Um, one thing I know I take personal pride is trying to be in this industry as an African-American man. It wasn't always easy. Um, to get certain spots, and I'm still striving to get to uh, certain places. But um, and I, and you know, for those that aspire to want to be in broadcasting, they can try to look at you and yourself and see how you're thriving in the market. Talk about your experiences. Um, you know, I don't know exactly what what you went through to get to the point that you are, but I'm sure, just like any other African American man dealing with a, 
uh, you know, an industry that's dominated not not by the minority. Uh, what were your experiences going through? Yeah, well, to start out, I don't have a communications degree. I didn't take one communications class or anything like that. I was <laughs> a, a dude in high school and, and throughout school who, you know, played sports, but also always loved English class. So that just kind of gave me, I guess, a way to be able to, to jump into the, the industry. I had my AP courses in, in high school. Then once I got to college, I continued to play football. And it just, being able to explain the game in a way that's understandable and, and retainable for everyone, I think has been the key. That's something that I just kind of carry through. But my journey has been different, right? I designed a website of my own. At that, at that time, so we're talking about 2008, it was called Press Cover Sports. And I literally, I was a 49ers fan. So it, it covered the 49ers. Uh, I had a couple of my teammates from, from college, Cheney University, shout out Cheney. Um, I had a couple of my teammates from college. One was writing about the Falcons, one was doing the Cowboys, and one was doing the Steelers. But I would go to 49ers games and I had a, a business card that said Press Cover Sports on it and had the website and I would just hand it out. I'm handing out like 500 cards yeah. every day, you know, yeah. and, and then it, it, people just started looking at it and, and they liked it. And then social media, you know, Twitter just really helped out a lot. And then eventually um, I, I did a post on Colin Kaepernick. And, and this is why I accept zero Kaepernick slander because <laughs> he is actually part of the reason why I'm where I am because yeah. I did an article on him breaking down his first start against the Chicago Bears. And I was also doing football camps. And he was a guy that I was reaching out to his agents to try to do a football camp. But the guy I was doing it with hated to fly, so it never came to fruition. But I oh, kept man. in touch with, the, with his, his team, his, his agents at that time. And yeah. they saw the article. They sent it to him. He put it on his Facebook page. Wow. And then, lo and behold, websites and, and outlets in – the Bay Area were reaching out to me. I started with uh, Fanside, Fansided. It was called Golden Bay Sports. And then Bay Area Sportsnet, I connected with them. And I was doing actual credentials. So instead of going to the games to watch and as a fan, I'm going there and in the press box with Matt Mayoko yeah. and, you know, a lot of the other reporters there. So I went to that. And then I was like, man, I, I can't really advance if I'm known as a fan of the team that I'm covering. So I said, okay, I could do the Ravens or the Eagles. I'm in that area. So which one am I going to do? I said Baltimore because I felt that Philly was too cutthroat at that time. You know, so I, yeah. I reached out to every outlet in Baltimore. Uh, the Baltimore Times, it was a, a black-owned paper. They yeah. retained me to do their Ravens work. I did that for a couple of years. At the same time, I was doing draft work for a football game plan and pro player insiders. And then uh, the Eagles Wire of USA Today opened up, and, you know, I took that on, launched it, grew it from zero page views to 12 million, and we just, uh, you know, that Super Bowl year, it took off. I got to write a book uh, on Carson Wentz. I did that. Um, uh, the, the company is actually, the book is here. The company came to me about this book. Like that, and, yeah. They sent me an email and they, they asked me about writing it. And I said, sure. And they said, well, there's one condition. You got to write it in, in 14 days. I did it in 12. 
but uh, it's you know it's it's a um, there's a lot of pictures, but there's content in there too. It's more like a tabletop type of book, but it's on Carson Wentz. So that was an experience. But then you wow. know, like I said, ESPN reached out to me. I, I did a couple phone interviews. Uh, June fifteenth, they had me up there, interviewed for. I had dinner with them and then interviewed with them the whole day, the following day, and they were like, yeah, well, we, we we need it. And I told them, hey, look, you get buy one, get two free, right? <laughs> I, I said, I can podcast, I, I give you audio, I give you digital, and give you TV. And at the yeah. time, like when I was in uh, covering Ravens stuff, um, going out to the, uh, the Ravens facility and everything and to their games, I was in my basement. I, I taught myself how to produce my own show. Right? I bought the, right. the barrier mixing board, got the mic and, and all that stuff, and was able to loop in interviews for, that I took in, in, the, in the locker room and just put it all together. And I had my show on Spreaker and was making it happen. You know, So yeah. at the same time, I was also doing video work, too. Like I would just do a, a practice breakdown, do interviews, you, you know, in, in the locker room and stuff like that. And that's why I say, if you're self-made, you know, you appreciate it more, but yeah. you have to make sure you cover all the bases. And that buy one, get two free, that kind of stuck with them. And, and you know, it, it was it was a good a good pitch to uh, to get the job. Man, that's, that's, that's a wild story, man. I mean, to start off thinking that, you know, you just start off covering your favorite team, which a lot of people can relate to. I know so many guys mm -hmm. that, you know, they want to write or they want to do something um, in the sports world, and, and your story can inspire a lot of people, man, because that means that, you know, if you're self-made, you, you, you do these things by yourself, and, and I can definitely relate to a lot of the things that I've been able to accomplish and try to get done, man. So, you got three books that you wrote, man, so that, that, that one book yeah. turned into a couple of more, huh? Yeah, these two right here, this is with, and this is this is by a black-owned company, Emory Hunt Football Game Plan. It's a two-part series. That's another one. And then I did this one. Uh, here it is right here. This was my most recent one, and that's probably going to be my last one for a while. But this one came out. Uh, this was just documenting the championship uh, series, uh, the championship season, rather, for, for the, uh, the Eagles. So, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's been good, man. Sorry, Titan fans. Teron, I can't do any uh, other books here about your Titans. Uh, for the foreseeable future. Now, if they win the Super Bowl, hey, who knows? I'll bet so. Probably will have to do something. <laughs> so, uh, again, we're with Teron Devonport, ESPN, based out of here in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, you can check them out on Twitter. What's the Twitter handle again? It's T Davenport underscore NFL. No doubt. So, uh, I got a few questions here. Let's 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 jump over to the Titans. Um, I think that's what everybody wants to hear in the time that something comes out your mouth, unfortunately, that comes with your job. Um, yeah. Let's talk about the status of A.J. Brown. Uh, you know, bone bruise, kept him out for the last game. Um, and you, I, I saw your tweet talking about his, his motivation. Well, I think one of the position coaches said that he has yeah. to keep that same fire in him even when he's going through something like this. So give us the status on A.J. and kind of translate that coach speak for us. Yeah, I actually talked to AJ yesterday, and I tried to get him to to tell me when. He just said sooner rather than later, so take that for whatever it means. But the bone bruise is always a, a tough situation to deal with 
you know, and the best thing for it is rest. So that's what he's going to have. I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't play this week, but I would expect him for the, the following week, which I, I believe is the uh, next home game against the Steelers. However, when Rob Moore said that he needs to keep the – stay mentally sharp, really what he's saying is AJ has all the ability in the world, and we know that we saw that. But he had an edge during camp as far as thriving to be the best receiver in the league and thriving to make sure that he dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's, you know, working on the releases, working on being more fluent in and out of his routes, working on being more sudden at the line of scrimmage, working on being stronger at the catch point, all the things that he wanted to work on. So when Rob Moore says keep that mental edge, all he's saying is that he needs to – continue to have that same chip on his shoulder to want to be better, right, and want to be the best. That's all. There's nothing bad about that. I, I did get some replies to that tweet saying, like, you, you know, is that an underlying problem? No, it's, it's not an underlying problem. And, I, I mean, I've followed AJ since sophomore year at, at uh, Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. Confidence and focus and wanting to be the best, it's, it's not a problem yeah. Not a problem whatsoever. He's going to continue to to do what he does and, and excel. I think one of the questions that's starting to come out, uh, the Titans win over the, uh, Jacksonville, um, not as close as you wanted to see it, especially with the offense so hot to start off that game. But um, starting to get all these different questions. Sorry, looks like somebody popped in. Somebody was calling. Sorry about But um, the question that I'm getting a lot here is that Derek Henry's not – revving up like we thought he would. Everybody thought that he was going to come into this season, finish off what he started in the playoffs last year. And I'm trying to explain to people what you really need to focus on is the development of Ryan Tannehill. If he can continue to play the way that he's playing, then Derrick Henry doesn't have to do as much. And when he is ready to turn into that extra gear when it gets a little colder, you have a double threat. So for you that's on the inside, they're seeing Derrick Henry, kind of explain that what people don't, I don't think what they seem to understand what they're seeing right now. Well, I think really it's a matter of people thirsting for that home run. And that's what Derrick Henry is known for, being a home run hitter. There were so many times where you see him stretch it out. He sticks his foot in the ground. He's upfield. There's a hole. He's at the second level. And he pulls away from everybody. That's what we're used to seeing. His longest run this year has been a 13-yarder. But he's getting a lot of carries, and he's actually off to the best start yardage-wise, of his career. So it's gone from the lightning side, the thunder and lightning, to more thunder and more methodical. I think that's the best way to to explain it. And you saw it especially against the Broncos with the 31 carries for Buck 16. So I don't think there should be any issues. Right now, what's happening, and you look at the last two games, you have I forget the linebackers now. I want to say Albertson, number 45 for the Broncos, he did an awesome job. And Josie Jewell, both of those guys, did a really good job of clogging up the cutback lanes that he tries to look for as he's stretching the runs out. Joe mm-hmm. Schobert, last week, outstanding. Miles Jack, yeah. last week, outstanding. You look at the third and short that they weren't able to get before that drive where um, Goskowski made the 49-yard field goal. Both of those guys were in the backfield. Third and one, third and two. That's almost clockwork for the Titans to get. But they didn't get it in that situation. So it's, it's just going to take some time. 
the thing that you have to be excited about is they continue to hammer away at the run. And you look mm -hmm. at that second quarter, he had six carries for two yards to start a drive. After that drive was over, he had nine carries for 40 plus. So they continue to give him the rock and, and keep feeding him. And that's a good thing. And just like any running game, you, you know, you talk to a lot of running backs that run in that zone scheme and, and, and running that, that, you know, type of scheme that, that really requires a lot of carries. Eventually things are going to pop. And at any given moment, that guy especially is capable of a 70-plus yard run. You've seen it multiple times. So once that happens, everything goes back to normal and people are calling him the king again. <laughs> so relax, Titan. Just relax. Take it easy. Right. The team's 2-0 right now. Things are looking pretty good. Like you said, I think people are used to seeing him just run over guys. And the way that Jacksonville was selling out to stop him, I think that Jacksonville said, I don't care – if Ryan Tannehill throws for 8,000 yards, what we're not going to see is another highlight of him going 99 yards, pushing the whole defense away. So you get you get what you get with that type of thing, right? Yeah. I mean, you get that first play of the game where John Smith is wide open for 60-plus. All improving and putting. Um, so let's turn our attention to the defense a little bit here, man. I mean, Clowney was the big signing. Everyone uh, was expecting to see him, you know, jump off the map and, get two or three sacks in the first few games. But uh, and not just clowning, but the, the defense. I thought that they was going to be much better with a big-time playmaker that you got to pay a lot of attention to on the outside like that. But didn't look that good against Jacksonville outside of, a, you know, some interceptions that they had on Minshew, the one at the end, and Christian Fulton. So tell me about the defense. Uh, what do you think it's going to take for them? Is it just because everyone right now is having issues with no preseason, things like that? Yeah, I think for Clowney, that's what the issue is. He's This is essentially his second preseason game. That's what the Jackson, the Jaguars game was. But yeah. if you watch, he's still getting pressure. There was one time early in the game where it was actually, I want to say, the first or second play. He got pressure. He forced Minshew to throw the ball earlier than he wanted to to Tyler Eifert. Jonathan Joseph almost had the interception. Eifert had to knock it out of his hands. That's yeah. not a sign that doesn't show up in the stat sheet for clowning, but that's a good play. And I think that's what you have to look at. On the year, he has, uh, I want to say, three or four hurries. And it's just you have to wait for him to, to get into that groove and get into that football shape. That's really the main thing. And he's playing himself into it. 46 snaps against Denver, what, 61, 62 against the Jaguars. And – a lot of those snaps started with his hands on his on his hips, you know. Trying mm -hmm. to tell that a guy's gassed. But right now, he's what they have, right? Kamale Correa, Harold Landry, and Clowney. Once Derek Roberson comes back, which I believe is going to be soon, and once Vic Beasley comes into the rotation, which I also believe is going to be soon, that's going to help balance things out. Then you have Jeffrey Simmons also pushing the, the pocket from the interior. And he's another one. It doesn't show up in his stat sheet, but Harold Landry's interception doesn't happen unless he rushes the passer with discipline, realizes right. he's not going home. And this is what we talked about on Nate and TD and what I talked about on Talking with TD and what I talked about on my whiteboard breakdown, which I do every Wednesday. You realize you're not getting home. You put your hands up. You match the quarterback's hands. And that's what he did. Tip pass. Harold Landry intercepts it. The game is sealed. So – statistically it's not where people want it 
And that's understandable. 480 yards of total offense to the Jaguars, that's that's unacceptable by by any means. So they have to get that right. But I don't think Rome has fallen as much as, you know, people are, are, are beginning to think. And then at the same time, above 65 on the ground, they have to tackle better. And I asked Mike Grable about that, and he just said it comes down to setting the edge, creating a wall, and swarming. And that setting the edge is not happening as much and not creating as much of a wall as far as not giving up holes for the running back to run through. And they're not swarming to the football. That's It has to get better. Yeah. And that's crazy because Brable preaches that. I know, you know, um, his philosophy is to swarm the ball. So, you know, again, my, my personal thoughts, I, I just think that guys, like you said, got to put themselves in the shape. Offensives are exploding all over the league right now. And usually it's the other way around, though, right? Usually the defense dominates and then the offense kind of catches up, you know, as the season progresses. So I don't know um, from that side. Let me hit you with this one, man. Um, we got a few more for you. We'll get you out of here. Um, the injury bugs, man. I mean, seven tour ACLs. Um, we're not even saying anything about Christian McCaffrey, Mike Thomas, just all the injuries. And again, I, I don't keep wanting to preach on this no preseason thing, but you know every fan wants to know what, what what's in the water right now. What, why are we seeing so many injuries? You think? Yeah, one of the things Mike Rabel says that I really subscribe to is football is a 100% injury sport. You play long enough, you're going to get hurt. And I'll say this about McCaffrey. I say it about Mike Thomas, and there are a few other injuries where I'm sure this was the case. Sometimes when you're there around the pile, you get rolled up on. And like in McCaffrey's case, you know, when a guy's tackling you, you may come down awkwardly, and next thing you know, you got a high ankle sprain, which yeah. is that's a, a terrible injury for a receiver, especially, and a running back, because all you're doing is changing direction. The ACLs and those type of things, I, I definitely think it's connected to, you know, not having that offseason of training as a group. I think it's connected to not uh, having preseason games, but at the same time, it's, you know, it's part of the game. Like, you're going to have those. And sometimes, you know, you go to move a certain way and your body is, is, is not ready and, and able to, to move that direction all of a sudden and things get popped. And you have to remember there's a lot of torque that these guys are putting on their joints, you know. So that, that definitely has a lot to do with it. Let me jump into the Sportaholic Podcast fan bag. I had a few fans reach out after I uh, let a few people know that I would be uh, getting a chance to chop it up with you, man. So one of the questions that they asked is, shout out to Leon Covington. He says, um, with the Titans being one of the healthier teams left in the league with everything that's happening, are the Titans doing anything differently than any other team or is it just sheer luck? I think it's a mixture of both. I know they were definitely um, not fully tackling to the ground, but they had those moments where there, there was contact in camp. I think that helps. I think just the focus on conditioning, because that's one thing Mike Brabel, a team of his, it's, it's really clear. They're always going to be in good condition. So that definitely helps. But at the same time, you, you got to take the cap to Frank Pirano and, and, and Brian Bell, the guys on the strength and conditioning staff, because they do a really good job also. And uh, I see, like, during pregame, I mean, these guys get stretched all the way out. You know, they go yeah. through a, a serious routine. You see those guys, you know, even the big guys, Roger Saffold and, and those types, man, you see them getting very well stretched out. So 
that has a lot to do with it also. Then it's, it's a lot that goes into just being strong, like in the muscles surrounding your joints, which definitely helps avoid injury as well. Got another one from um, Adam Bowers. He says, do you see us bringing in any uh, cornerback help? And uh, second part, uh, do you have any status on Darrington Evans? Uh, cornerback help, I don't think that's something that, that they're going to do. Obviously, a Dory Jackson situation is one to monitor. But they really like Chris Jackson. They really like Christian Fulton. Now, if, if Jonathan Joseph, if that leg injury he has develops into something bigger than – than what it initially is said to be, yeah, they could bring in somebody. There are some guys out there, but the thing is, even if you bring somebody in, you have to wait, you know, two, maybe three weeks for them to be comfortable and be able to be thrown out there and be productive. So um, I could see a Ty Smith getting caught up like he did last week. I could see Kareem Moore getting caught up before they bring somebody in off the street. And I know they really like Kareem Moore. He just got hurt towards the end of camp, and that eliminated his chances of, of being on the 53. And then uh, Darrington Evans. Darrington Evans, um, I, I don't know, man. He went from a full participant to limited to just not practicing and ruled out for the game. It's a hamstring, and it's interesting because his hamstring issue has gone south. Corey Davis has went north, and I, I just – it's hamstrings are just so fickle and, and yeah. for a guy that relies so much on quickness and change of direction, starting and stopping, that could definitely lead to bad things because that hamstring could grab you at any moment. I didn't see where something happened to make it go downhill, right? To, to have him go from you know, limited on Thursday to, to not practicing on, on Friday. So I, I don't know what the status is. The Titans are, are very tight-lipped about these injuries. We inquire, but it doesn't always result in success. The Belichick effect. Vrabel just texts on that Belichick uh, type of mindset when it comes down to that one. Um, last one from the fan bag I got for you. Jamel uh, Cole um, X. when the Titans defense is fully back healthy and, and playing as we expect them to, in addition to what the offense is doing, he's saying – how do you think they stack up against the AFC elites, uh, the Ravens, and also the Chiefs? Hmm. You know, the Ravens, when they got Calais Campbell, you know, that was kind of like a cheat code for them. And even mm -hmm. losing Earl Thomas, uh, Deshaun Elliott's a, a solid safety you know, out of Texas. He, he's unproven, but I think he's a player. So I'm going to say they don't really stack up against the Ravens. I mean, I didn't even talk about the secondary with Jimmy Smith. Marcus Peters, and Marlon. He got turned around by Khalif Raymond Humphreys, you know. But <laughs> still, those are three really good good uh, corners. So I, I'm going to go to the Ravens as the top defense. The Chiefs, I, I think the main difference for them is, is Chris Jones because he's such a dominant player. But I think the Ravens – or the Titans rather stack up right there against the Chiefs, to be honest with you. And it's just going to really come out when Harold Landry starts getting to his own. Clowney gets gets right. So, uh, and Jeffrey Simmons, I, I think they stack up against the Chiefs. I, I, I know they do. I think they're a better defense than the Chiefs. Yeah. Now, the Bills, on the other hand, that's, that's a defense that you got to mention. 
Yo, the Bills are serious, man. I, I don't think the people give them enough credit because where they play it, but I mean, just to see Josh Allen play as good as he's been playing over the last few games, and then that defense had already been good. So I guess if we throwing all those defenses to be there, I guess you would throw the Bills. Just fair objection. You would throw the Bills in their top three AFC defenses? I, I man. I, I would I would probably say yes. I, I would say yes. They have a really good safety tandem. You know, Trey Davis, why right, is a top safe uh, top corner in the league? You know, they don't have that killer pass rusher, but they still get pressure on the quarterback. And, and Edmonds, 49, is, is he's something special too. So, um, I, yeah, I, I'll give I'll give them top three. I'll give them top three. I, I'll put them ahead of the Chiefs, but behind the Titans, a full staff Titans. You know, holy staff. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, man, um, I ain't gonna hold you up. I want to say I appreciate your time. You coming on, taking some time out today to join me here and uh, support the uh, people that I have. Uh, we really appreciate it. Um, and remember, y'all, everybody check it out tomorrow. Is it every Thursday that you and uh, Nate TD hook up, or is it different days during the week? This week is Thursday because MTSU had a, a last-second scheduled game on Friday. It's normally Fridays at 6 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Eastern, but it's going to be Thursday this week. At 6 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Eastern. I will be checking it out, and everybody watching, I hope, and I expect you to do the same. TD, man, appreciate your time. We got to do it again, brother. Yeah, for sure, man. Anytime, just let me know. No doubt, man. All right, you have a good one. All right, you too.